We're going to be looking at the second chapter in the book of Ephesians. And you remember when I did the introduction, I said to you, chapter 1, 2, and 3 are theological in nature. Chapter 4, 5, and 6 are the practical applications of the theology that Paul was expressing in the first three chapters. And as kind of a uh, uh, adjoining, when this second chapter of theology, if you go to the fifth chapter and look at the practical application, so that'll kind of give you an idea. Uh, we're going to we're going to have some terms that I want you to understand. So we're going to go to some definitions. And the first definition I want to give you is dead. Okay? You say, why is that necessary? Well, we talk about people being dead in their sins. People who are dead in their sins see people walking around, living, breathing, doing stuff, and they say, that person's not dead. So what are we talking about with dead? Well, the Greek word is nekros. It is a spiritually dead, it's a life destitute of life that recognizes and devoted to God. It is a sense of being trapped. In death, you are trapped being dead. I mean, you don't Lay down, decide you're going to die for a while and get up. That don't happen. When we are without Christ, either loving him or devoted to him or have given our life, we are trapped in an existence that makes us dead spiritually to the things that are God. Everybody wants the blessing of God. Everybody wants to be able to receive these blessings from God. But yet when we walk around in a condition apart from Christ, we are literally dead to those things because while we want the things on the table that Jesus puts on the table, we don't want Jesus. And so we live a life that has despair, hopelessness, no future, and, and no hope about anything. And that's why I think today in this world, the sphere that we're living in now, the suicide rate is going, just going crazy. And, and it's not just poor people. In fact, poor people struggle and live. What we're seeing is people who are affluent. People who literally, we talk about, if I had their money, I would be this or that. And yet they live in a dead, hopeless situation. The next word, spiritual dead. Spiritual death means this. It is separation from God in his life. When you read in the book of Revelation, you will read about a second death. Uh, this doesn't mean you, that you will become alive again and then die again. The second death is a total alienation forever and ever apart from God. It is spiritual, uh, it is a spiritual death. When I was studying for this, I, I thought about one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, Ezekiel 37. God tells Ezekiel to come out here 
I'm going to show you a field. And in that field, we're just all kind of bones. And I envision some skeletons whole, but others are just bones that are bones. And, and God says, can these bones live? And now we're talking about just really bones, dry bones. And then God said, prophesy. And the bones began to come together. And then when they came together, remember, they're laying down. Sinew, muscle, skin, facial features, hair came, and there they laid. But they were still dead until the breath of life was breathed in them. That, friends, is a picture. When we hear the call of God and we answer that call, it's like a breath of life being breathed into our body. New life, new hope. We see things differently. We feel and react differently. But without that, it's a separation. Trespass. We hear about forgiveness of our trespass. This means what? It's kind of to slip, stumble, to fall, or to go in the wrong direction. What about sin? Definition of sin. Sin is simply missing the mark, coming short of the goal. The goal is always God's standard. These are terms that we hear about. It pictures a target and an archer, and when he shoots the arrow, it doesn't even hit the target. It lands in front of it or on each side. It's missing that mark. And that mark is not any individual person. That mark is Jesus Christ. So these are the things I want you to, to fully be aware uh, of what they mean. Now, I put about three no testaments here. Trespasses and sins do not refer to acts. Okay? We, we sometimes get that messed up. What we do, this does not refer to that. It refers to the sphere of existence. We are living in a sphere of trespasses and sin. All you got to do is wake up, watch your TV, go out into the world, and this is the, the sphere in which we are all living, and it's an existence we're in apart from God. Secondly, this is no excuse for why you sin, and it doesn't make you innocent. We're of an age, y'all remember Flip Wilson? The devil made me do it, right? I didn't want to do it. The devil made me do it. I wasn't going to do that. The devil made It's not an excuse. Just because we live in this stuff, it's not an excuse to sin. Neither does it actually, uh, it doesn't make you innocent. But what it does, go ahead. It shows the great need of a Savior to rescue us. It shows the futility of us trying to fix 
ourselves, turning over a new leaf, do it, putting away bad habits, all of this stuff that we, you know, self-help book, there's millions of them that will tell you how to fix you, but yet the only one that can fix us is the original maker of us, and that's God. Amen? All right. Every person apart from God is sinful. We're going we're to read the level is ground. When you're born, you're sinful. Okay? But it does not mean that every person is equally corrupt or wicked. Okay? And it doesn't mean that a person apart from God can't do good stuff. You know, we have this thing that, well, if you're lost, you can't do good things. No, that's not right. Each person is not equally wicked. Each person can do, but they are apart from God. Now, this definition here we need to understand. What is salvation? Okay? Salvation is from sin. Okay? It's not you're a good person and you've added God. Uh, when I was in Brazil, I learned something. You had to watch out. People would readily pray, raise their hand, I want Jesus, and they would pray. And yet it was like they had this little charm bracelet, and they added Jesus to voodoo, Jesus to this God. And there's no adding to it. I heard a Muslim one time who, who exclaimed when he had prayed this prayer, I think I am so happy now I have Jesus and I have Muhammad. Huh? There's no partnership. It's Jesus from sin and it's by love. There's no merit. I've heard people say, you know, God really needs that person. They have potential. Everybody has potential. But what good is potential? If you don't, Live up to that potentiality. How many people were raised by parents who put such pressure on you about your, your uh, availability to be something great and you constantly failed and it, it's now bugged you? No, it is from sin, by love and into life. Remember, we were dead and apart from God. When we come from sin, we go into life, and that life has a purpose. There is a calling of God in every person's life. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter what you do. There is an equipping that is specifically for you. That's what makes the broad picture, the beautiful picture of the body of Christ just thousands upon millions of different tiles of different colors fitting together into one beautiful picture. And it comes by faith. You simply believe. You say simply. Yeah, you believe. You believe against every other hope. You believe because what else are you going to put your faith in? You trust that God is who he is. And from there, good works. Now, you know where we're coming? 
How many of you remember where you came from? I'm not talking about your town. How many of you remember your life beforehand? You know, it's not meant, that memory is not meant to get us down. But we need some time to review the lack of a life. We had an existence and then Jesus, and in him we have life. And it makes me wonder every day. I look to the skies every time I pray to Jesus. Why? What is it that you would give your son for somebody like me? You know, used to, I was one of those guys that people would come visit me, and they would say, if you quit this, 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 and this, God can use you. Well, that kind of made me feel good because I didn't want God to use me. So I continued to do this and this and this. When God got me is when he put me on my knees realizing without him, I didn't have anything. Amen. I didn't have life. I didn't have hope. I was a simple, stupid lump of dead clay. That's when God took this and this and this away from me. So we're going to go into the second chapter. I'm going to give an introduction beginning with verse 18. Paul is praying a prayer for the Ephesians. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. I pray that you can see. I've, to be enlightened has become not just aware of something, but an awareness and an understanding in order that you may know the hope whereby you are called. That is very, very, very important because the essence of a dead life in sin is a life that is absence of absolutely any hope of things being better. Now, we don't even, don't even just think about that as maybe a homeless person who has nothing or somebody who's going through some tragedy. Now, what it's talking about, you can be a multi-billionaire and yet everything that you have becomes useless to you because you've just got so much. And all the pleasure you thought, the things that you did, the attitudes that you had, your money, your possession, you thought that was going to bring you happiness, but it didn't. Just emptiness and emptiness. Hope and nothing equals emptiness. Paul said, I pray that your eyes would be open to that, to the riches of his glorious inheritance for his holy people and by his comparably great power, power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. That's, that's, that's powerful dead. And then he, it, this is a, 
exerted. He probably said, Jesus. Up he stood. And he seated him at his right hand, the place of authority in heavenly realms. Isn't that beautiful? That's what he did. That's what Paul's saying. I want you to understand. In my prayers, I was, as I was looking at this, when I was preparing this, I prayed for you guys. I prayed, Lord, open their eyes. Lord, let me communicate through you, your words through me, so that they can understand what the closeness, the life, the hope, and no matter what kind of situations that they're in. Now, why? Because of our prior condition. Now, this text is in the Greek, okay? Bring that up, uh, please, sir. I want you to read with me down to here, okay? You ready? And you... Are y'all reading? Read loud. And you being with reference to your trespasses and sin, he made a lie. Now, you, you want to know why I wanted you to read that? Because you can go tell people that weren't here today that you read the Bible in Greek, and you will astound them because you have just read Greek. Congratulations. Good job. All right. Here's where he's going with that. You being dead in this sphere of which trespasses and sin at one time ordered your behavior as dominated by the spirit of the age in this world system. Here's what it's saying. Greek is very descriptive. That's why you chose to put this up here. And before you think I know Greek, I found a book that had this in it and said it was Greek. All right? Full disclosure. He's saying that we were in this sphere, this world, this system, and we were being controlled by that system. Because what we saw is what we began to do. And since everybody is born with the same amount of sin, which is a total depravity needing Jesus Christ and him alone, we're all the same way. So we're in this world together and our behavior is being controlled from the sin that is in us and the environment in which we live. That's where we were. So the spirit of this age, which is Satan in this world system, okay, and dominated by the leader of the authority of the lower atmosphere. Isn't that descriptive? You read that and you know you're talking about Satan. Okay, let's, let's go. The source also of the spirit that's now operating in the sons of disobedience, among whom, what is this? We all, we all ordered our behavior 
and the sphere of the cravings of our evil nature. That explains it. Again, that's not an excuse. Again, that's not saying, oh, well, I couldn't do anything because of the availability of Jesus Christ. You can say we actually chose to live where we were living. And our behavior was molded around the system in which we were in. That's why it is important for people to gather in the body of Christ together. Everybody has bad days. Everybody has those days when Satan works in their mind. You're not saved. You don't have a hope. Why are you doing this? You have problems in your life. And as I have observed, the first thing that happens with people is they run away from church. They run away from the very people that are there to walk with them, to encourage them, to pray for them, and to be strengthened. It's what we need. He has taken us out of the world through Jesus Christ. He's taken us out of that sphere, and although we operate in it, and we live in it, and we work in it, we as Christians exist in the sphere of heavenly. Our citizenship is in heaven. We become aliens here in this world. So we walk in our citizenship even in a world that is filled with trespasses and sin. It's what Paul's saying. Open your eyes. God empowers. God strengthens. All right, what else did it say? Continually practicing the desires of our evil nature and thoughts and were continually children of wrath by nature as also the rest. But God, <laughs> two of the greatest words in the Word of God. But God. Next time you look at your situation and you say, this is helpless, I want you to remember, but God. If there is a major sin that the body of Christ suffers from today, it's the fact that we have assigned certain things that God cannot do. We may never say it out loud so anybody can hear us, but in our minds, we put restrictions on God. I know God can do this. I know he can do that for that person, but this, I don't see how, we say something like, I don't see how the world that can be fixed. But God, God is that great restrictor. God is a sovereign God, which simply means in his sovereign power, there is nothing, absolutely nothing that he can't do. Amen. You see, the one thing that we miss, I think, in the Gospels 
is how Jesus operated. I've often said, can you imagine what is big to God? Have you ever thought about that? Does God ever say, wow, how can he say something's big? And there was never anything too small. As he traveled, people would, would, would come after him. Come to my house, my daughter, all of the problems. Everything that was important to a person was, is important to God. I, I imagine God on his throne watching us go through the torments that we allow and put ourselves through saying, talk to me. Let's walk through this together. Oh, we have all memorized the 23rd Psalm, but we don't bring it home to us. You see why the Word of God talks about a lot of things and a lot of people. The Word of God becomes personal to every person. Why? It's God's Word to His children. This is why people who, apart from Christ, can't understand the Word. They can't understand how in the world can you believe something like that? It's because my father said so. God being wealthy. Now, we go from the sphere of trespasses and sin into God's sphere of mercy. Mercy. You see, so many times we we get into issues and we'll say, let's pray about it. Well, I'm just not worthy to ask God for that. Hey, yeah, that's a given. None of us are. But that's why mercy is mercy and not a reward. God extends his mercy upon us because he knows in that instant we need his presence. We need his forgiveness. We need his strength. And he said he is wealthy in this sphere because of his great love with which he loved us. Not somebody else. He loved us. When he gave his son on the cross, you and you and you, all of us was on his mind because in ages to come, that cross we looked at in the rearview mirror signified the difference between death and life in our love. He loved us, all right? And we being dead with respect to our trespasses he made us alive together with Christ. You see how plain this is. Listen, the result of a relationship with Christ is good works. He prepared them for us. These are what my kids are going to do. Specifically, good works and however that looks. So that's the outcome. But while we live in the sphere of trespasses and sins apart from God, 
There's no good works that we can do that says, God, I have this list of stuff. And this is why I deserve to be saved. Doesn't work that way. He made us alive in him. By, go ahead, go to that next one. By grace, you have been saved completely in past time. What does that mean? Well, it can mean two things. In the past, in past eternity, before there was anything in the mind of God, or it can mean in your past time, 10 years ago, 15 years, 40 years ago. And then he continues. With the present result that you're in the state of salvation which persists through the present time. Simply stated, once saved, nothing, nobody can take it away from you. You can't lose it, okay? It's not like your phone or your car keys or your glasses. You cannot lose because God in his love bestowed it on us and we became this new creation. Now, if it was something tangible that you hold in your hand and you're supposed to wear this bracelet and and that proves you're a Christian and you lose the bracelet, then you've lost your salvation. But no, we're talking about not a makeover. We're talking about a complete redo of who we are. From the past into the present. It persists. (laughs) You can't get rid of it, guys. Okay? Through the present time. All right? And raised us up with him and seated us. Remember? He raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at his right hand. He has seated us with him, Christ, in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's where we're living, troops. We're walking here on this earth in this sphere of trespasses and sin, but yet we are living in this sphere in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Somebody needs to get excited about this. In order that he might exhibit for his own glory in the ages that will be that look at this, that will pile themselves upon one another in continuous succession. Beautiful language. He's saying every year, every year, every year, every year until God himself says it's finished. It continues. God exhibits us as This is what is available to you who are dead in your trespasses and sin. This new life. We are to live to be the praise to God's glory. We we are to live in where we bring honor and glory to him and all that we do. Pride must stay down. Because you need to figure out what is it you have or what is it you've done that God didn't give you or do for you. And the answer is zilch, zero, and nada.
Okay. The surpassing wealth of his grace and kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved in the time past completely. Nobody is a little bit of a Christian. It's kind of like, <laughs> a lady told me one time I was, when I was selling insurance, and I said, going through the thing, do you have this disease? No. You ever had this? No. Are you pregnant? She said, just a little bit. I thought, hmm, that's a new one on me. Just a little bit. You can't be just a little bit. And you can't be just a little bit saved completely through faith. Now, this faith, understand something. This is faith in Jesus. Because sometimes we think, well, I don't have enough faith to do this. If you have the faith the size of a grain of mustard seed, you can say to mountains, move, and they're gone. So how much, it's not how much you muster, it's whom you have faith in. Okay? All right, let's go. With the result, I'm going to pull a cord. With the result that your salvation persists through the present time. Again, do you see? He said this twice. In the Bible, if God says something once, it's important. When he says it's twice, it's looky here, do you see what I'm saying? Okay? And this salvation is not from you as a source. So go home, take a nap, and realize you're not responsible for your salvation. You simply come to a faith in a sovereign God. Of God, it is the gift and not from a source of works in order that no one might boast for where his handiwork. I'm going to stop right there. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And in Christ, all have that same level playing ground. Why do we set people on a pedestal as being a good Christian or just a great Christian? Why do we put people on a pedestal say, that's how I'd like to live my life? The mark is Jesus Christ. And he has given us the grace, the strength, and the power to live that life. This morning, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that's why. It's all of God. All of it. You can't lose it. From top of your head to the bottom of your feet, you're saved. No longer dead. You have the breath of life. That is the Spirit of God in you. And if you're watching online and that doesn't describe your life, if you have never, ever 
Maybe you have lived with the idea, hey, I am a Christian. But you think you've done it, that you deserved it. Huh. It's time to stop struggling and simply rest in Jesus Christ. Because the grace of God and the mercy of God is totally unlimited. I want you to know him today. I want you to know who you are in Christ. That'll change your life. It'll change your outlook. Fathers, we come to you today. You are blessed, Father. We love you. And we thank you for your great mercy that you have bestowed upon us. Lord, may we respond as you are speaking to us today. Walk out of here knowing Christ. Walk out of here knowing Christ anew and afresh with the power, Lord, that comes from above. In Jesus' name, amen.